folks, and welcome to the Sense and Theory podcast, where we cut through the bias and extremism in order to find the common ground that brings us together. I'm Sense. And I'm Theory. And today we're going to be talking about a concept that we call the flawed messenger. Uh, it's a pretty simple idea. I think we're all fairly familiar with it at like an instinctual level, mm-hmm. but I think we have a tendency to kind of forget about it yeah. along the way. And that's the idea that people are imperfect. Um, we all mess up. We mess up a lot. Uh, and that no one in the world is is really immune to this, right? At the same time, um, there are plenty of people out there who have made tons of mistakes that have A, done great things in the world, and B, said great things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a big mistake to kind of wrap people up in in their mistakes instead of wrapping them up in in their in their good qualities. Mm-hmm. Um, to put it kind of in perspective, when I think about it, I think about uh, a messenger running up to a, a castle, um, holding holding a peace treaty, and he's got a scarlet letter on his forehead. You know, he's a he's a rapist. Maybe he's a murderer. Um, the king sitting in his ca- is in his castle is not going to judge this man and say. Uh, go away, you know, send him away. He's going to say, bring me the peace treaty. I'll sign it. It's time to make peace. Right. Right. So the, the messenger's actions in that case have no bearing on the message that he carries. Right. And I I think, I think we also have a tendency to do it in reverse. Right. So sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll take a message and have that set in stone, what we think of a certain person. But I think what's important to note is we don't want to say that context never matters, right? So if we we look at your analogy, if he has, if the messenger has that scarlet letter because he has a long history of lying or (laughs) forging documents, right? Uh, Then the king has to weigh that when he, when he takes that message. Touche. But the key is we, we've let it get out of hand to the point where now the king just, you know, he's like, ah, you've got the letter. He crumples up the message and throws it in the wastebasket. And and that's not serving us either because you know in that in that situation we've missed out on peace. That's right. right. And I I suppose you know in that instance, sure, if he was if he was a liar and he forges documents, then you're going to crumple yeah. up the message and throw it no. away. That's, well, no, I wouldn't say so. Maybe I'd, you read it and evaluate. I still. say you read it carefully with that in mind. I mean that that's what I think. You know, I, I'd like to get across here today is no, I don't think you crumple it up and throw it away. You you definitely raise a keen eye. You hold it up to the candle. You know, make right. sure the ink and, looks right. And and. The thing is, is when we're talking about this concept, it's not usually on the scale of a, of a king in a castle with a right. peace treaty coming. You know, True. when truthfully, it happens in our personal relationships from person to person, and and we start to build a box around people um, that say things we don't like or, or act in ways that uh, that may be offensive to us. And mm-hmm. eh, that's a fair thing. We're all going to do that. You know, that's that's kind of how the world works. I'm not going to be around people. That, that make me feel uncomfortable or unhappy. Right. At the same time, I think we've gotten to a place uh, where it's easier and easier to do so. And I think it's kind of breaking down the community. Yeah. Um, you know, we're losing face-to-face connection. Well, and I, stuff. Think, I think part of that is because we've kind of lost sight of, you know, like, like forgiveness and redemption um, were things that we used to celebrate and now, like when I look out at like society and culture and stuff, I see them present like just less and less. Like I think this this whole you know national discourse that we always talk about, or they're the great you know the great society in the salon or whatever. 
Um, it's reached such a fever pitch and such a level of like hyperpartisanship that there's no time to to sit there and consider a person's merits separate from the message. And then the message merits because everybody feels like everything is at the the highest stakes possible. And, and it's good and evil. Black and white has to happen this way. That's right. You know, I, I think that um, we all kind of have this tendency to to look at our own viewpoints as, as the correct one, right? You mm-hmm. think I'm a, I'm a thinking, feeling person. I've, I've thought about, I've thought my way through and arrived at this opinion. And, you know, anyone that's based on logic and analysis and anyone that comes to a different opinion is obviously just an idiot. Yeah. Um, it's, well, I actually, think there's a bias in there yeah, somewhere no, in there. Naive realism, which we, we dealt with in the bias episode, which basically says, you know, you you obviously have a, have a belief that your beliefs are common sense, right? I mean, why else would you think? Because they are common sense to you, right? That's why you think them. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're common sense to everybody, and and it's hard for us to see that. It is. So as time goes on, for some people it's real quick, and for some people it's it's slow. But eventually, we mark people with their own version of the scarlet letter. Yeah. And you might hear your friend talking about how great of a time they had with such and such, and and. You say, well, she's just a bet, you know, yeah. and you can't even hear anything good that may come from that person. Right. You know, right. say it's someone you you hated back in high school and uh, they were, you know, always maybe doing dope and, and robbing people. And now she's now she's doing good and raising her kids. And, and you're going like, ah, oh, she's just, a, you know, you've written her off. Right. Here she is past that point um, of, of whatever box you've boxed them into. Yeah. And and you won't allow her to come out of it. Well, I want to I want to go ahead and and make a point right here that I think this works both ways, though. I mean, you know, we're talking about the flawed messenger, but I think the flawless messenger exists as well. Like sometimes we rate uh, someone's message based on their own personal likability or attractiveness, like we talked about in the incel episode. Okay, Uh, and a host of other factors, whether or not they're in our in group, whether or not they they work where we work. And that really doesn't have anything to do necessarily with the message. So we do this in both a positive and a negative respect. And, you know, obviously, whereas the negative respect, you're you're at risk of shutting out ideas um, and, and walling people off. You're also in danger of the Pied Piper effect on the positive, you know, Where you're walling, walling blindly, right? You know? you're, you're walling people in, you're accepting their ideas, even, even though they may not have merit because yeah. they're part of your exactly. group and you don't want to go against them and be seen as an outsider. That makes a lot of sense. That's something I hadn't really I, considered a whole lot, yeah. honestly. And, well, and I think, I think it happens a lot um, with like celebrities and media personalities. And I think one of the reasons for that is that we only ever really deal with them on a superficial level, right? Like, mm-hmm. like what you see of a celebrity is in extremely like hyper, hyper terms, right? You're only going to see their work or puff piece interviews, or uh, on the other side, you're going to see like tabloid takedowns, right? So there is this tendency to view them as, as, you know, either shining white knights or as evil black villains, you know? Right. And unfortunately, again, that, that cuts a lot of the depth of real life. Like real life is a lot deeper than that. It is. I, I think so. I think it's a lot easier to both build someone up and dehumanize them, uh, or build those boxes around them if you don't see that person in real life, you don't see the smile when they walk in the door, you don't see the tilt of their head when they're considering your argument, you know, you don't see the flash in their eye, um, the, the micro mannerisms and stuff. These are all things that, that humanity has evolved um, to, to, 
to bring people together. Right. Right. And, and it, and it serves to kind of keep the boxing at bay. Yeah. Um, so, so when someone has these positive qualities that, that make you feel good when you're interacting, you can kind of put up an arm and go, well, I don't agree with you, but I still like being around you. Yeah. yeah. On when, when we take it to the place for celebrities, you know, Mm -hmm. they're obviously, uh, set far apart from us. Yeah. Or even if we talk about our, our interpersonal relationships on the internet, yeah. um, all of those micromannerisms, all of the interactions, they're gone. Right. So, so now it makes this process of boxing them uh, much, much easier. And, and that's not to say, I want to I touch on this again, because that's not to say that you shouldn't ever box people out. Right. Um, I'm more concerned about how easy it's becoming yeah. and what the effects of that are on us as, as people. Because truthfully, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't box that guy out if it was in person, you know, versus yeah. on, on Facebook. Think about like the friend you may have who's a who's a conservative and, and you're a liberal liberal and maybe he's uh, anti-abortion and you're pro-abortion. But every time he shows up at the house, he's got a big hug for you and a smile. And, uh, you know, he gives you an orange Tic Tac and orange is your, yeah. your favorite flavor. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know what I'm saying? So you 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 allow him to have that difference. Uh, because of the the things you get in exchange from right. him as a person. Yeah. Well, I think I think there's a few things going on there, though. I mean, you know, part of it is that, you know, obviously if a friend comes over, we're not chomping at the bit to like, you know, yell and have that abortion discussion. He doesn't today. walk in the door going, <laughs> damn it, stop killing babies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think I think it's not that you you don't still uh, like vehemently disagree with the person. It's not that, you know, the Tic Tacs or the snacks or whatever – uh, has like made that any less important. It's just that now there's nuance and there's depth to the situation that, like you say, you don't get on something like Facebook. And I think if you look at it kind of in the reverse, uh, in a sense, you you can kind of see that. Like consider somebody that you met on Facebook and you know that this guy spends uh, takes time out of his week to go and build houses for the homeless, like pro bono. What a right? good guy. Yeah, sounds like a good guy. Uh, but then you meet him in person. Uh, let's say you guys decide to meet up in real life. He's walking into the coffee shop to meet you and he kicks a dog on the way in. <laughs> now he's a dog kicker. Yeah, Screw so, that guy. So here's the question. Like, is he, is he a, a, just a piece of crap with like a soft spot or is he a really good guy with demons? Right? Wow. Either way, it's, it's not black. It's not white. Like there's depth of character there now. And you only get that when you see the, the full picture. Yeah, that's you know? a really that's a really good point. Um, so so why would we ever need to, uh, you know, consider a dog kicker? <laughs> you yeah. know, like yeah. no, really. Why why do we need to talk about this? Um, you know, why does it matter? And I, I feel like if you kick a dog, screw you. Yeah, yeah. But if you build houses for the homeless, like good on you. The fact that those two things can exist at the same time within someone mm-hmm. um, is kind of is kind of mind boggling. I think we need to be aware of it because what's going on, um, you know, we all have a little bit of dog kicker in us, right? right? At some at some level, and what's going on is that because of that, we are losing a sense of community by writing people off for whatever yeah. their dog kicking demons are. Yeah. Um, God, I would never <laughs> kick a dog. That's, that's awful. I just, I can't get over it. I know somehow I didn't say the word Nazi and yet found something infinitely worse. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, we're safer than we've ever been. You know, violent crime is down. Crime is down. Rapes are down. Uh, crimes of passion are down. Robberies are down. Right. Um, across the board, we're, we're safe, but but we feel lonelier than ever. 
Yeah. We're losing uh, the sense of, of community that, that we once had. Um, gosh, CDC just came out with a report said suicides are up 30%. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got, I've got stats after stats here. Yeah, no, you um, do, you do start to see like cracks, you know, in the veneer 50, 54% of Americans report feeling as though no one knows them well, at least sometimes, if not always. And at least two in five people also say that they always feel as though they lack companionship, that their relationships are not meaningful or that they're isolated from others, you know? So it, it's, it's starting to have like a profound effect. And on we wonder why, why shootings are on the rise. Why right. school shootings are on the rise. You know, right. we've, we've got these other factors slapping us in the face. Um, uh, individuals with less, less social connection have disrupted sleep patterns, altered immune systems, more inflammation, higher levels of stress hormones. One recent study found that isolation increases the risk of heart disease yeah. by 29% and stroke by 32%. So these, are, these feelings of isolation and loneliness have real physical reactions mm-hmm. within us and also have real mental reactions within us. Yeah. Um, and we're, and I feel like we're just kind of ignoring them. Yeah. Right. And the, the answer is smacking us in the face. To me, it's, it's this, this idea of boxing each other out. What is isolation? Mm-hmm. That's when you get boxed out. So if we're doing these things to box each other out, we are creating the isolation and it's not anyone doing it to us. We're, we're doing it to ourselves. We choose to do it. Yeah. We do it on social media. And, and, and social media is new to us. Well, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I, it, to some extent, it's us grappling with social media or it's, it's us grasp, uh, grasping with some of these new factors that have been injected into us. You know, I mean, you think about the idea in the 50s of the suburban community. Now, granted, the suburban community has moved outside of the city. So now you've got, you know, the, the people in the burbs and the people in the city and stuff. But even still, like in the burbs, they were having you know, neighborhood cookouts and picnics and stuff like that. You knew your neighbors and all that stuff. And we laugh about our, our cynical generation likes to laugh about that stuff sometimes, but it, it makes a difference. It makes more of a difference than I think we want to admit a huge, a huge difference. At the same time, we're, we're creating this culture of fear, right? Um, If we're afraid to be put in that, that other box and, and we're afraid to be one of them, uh, then people stop speaking out. Um, right. In fact, starting this show, I was I was really apprehensive because I knew we'd be talking about some really tough issues. I knew we'd be mm-hmm. talking about abortion. I knew we'd be talking about Trump. Um, and I know I don't have the lockstep narrative view on either side of those issues. Right. Um, so it was a really big fear that people were going to put me in some kind of box, you know, whether it's alt-right um, or whether it's a monster conservative yeah. or a, well, with us, it didn't come from either side. A shit lib, you know, you know yeah. any any of those those designations, I don't want on me. So it was, I was really apprehensive. To, yeah. to even no, do the show. That was, I mean, that was one of the primary reasons we started the show is because I mean, it's not. It, it wasn't just us. Like I mean, we saw that thread, like you know, across Facebook and, and across other places. You know, I heard people say. Yeah, well, I'm just I'm just not going to say anything. I mean, like, you know, the, this guy posted this thing the other day and it made me mad, but I, I'm just going to keep it to myself because I don't want all the crap that's going to come with it and stuff. Right. And I think when we're afraid to speak out, we we lose really valuable opinions. Right. I mean, that's the that's the sad part. That's not, the worst part. Not to mention part. we get a skewed perspective of where things are. Right. So, I mean, I think one of the arguments that we hear a lot is that some of these extremists, you know, whether whether we're talking about, you know, Antifa or the alt right is that they're actually, you know, 
far fewer people than we realize. It's just that they have the loudest voices. And so in this system, they've been able to kind of, you know, dominate the discussion and people are afraid to say anything against them in certain contexts. So it makes them look like they are the dominant, you know, theory on that side. Well, it's, it's funny you bring that up because the next thing I want to talk about um, is a theory that was proposed by a German political scientist named Elizabeth Noel Newman. Um, and that is the spiral of silence. And essentially, the spiral of silence says that uh, public opinion being defined as attitudes one can express without running the danger of isolating oneself um, is something that we all have this like innate ability to subconsciously judge, right? So, so mm-hmm. we're gauging what opinions are popular at any given moment, and, and we act according to that. Um, that means that people with minority opinions fear social isolation and they'll generally make a conscious choice not to speak up. Right. Right. Um, so this is a quote here. If you're voicing an opinion that's quite different from the majority in your group, and if it's a topic that's important to a group, then they'll judge you negatively. So staying in that in group, you know, becomes a a powerful thing. Yeah, no. And I, I think, Again, that illustrates, you know, what a two-way street this can be. I mean, on, on one hand, you know, where you're either A, disregarding, or like I said in the in the flawless messenger, uh, blindly accepting messages based on just tenuously related things. I mean, things that, you know, of course, like like in the, the King example, they can have a bearing on the message. They can have a bearing on the messenger. You know, you have to take those things into account. But they don't get to define who a person is, and they don't get to define the merits or the the cons of a message. That's right. I mean, using that that superficial basis uh, to make all those decisions, it it like you said, it it skews our perspectives to the point where now we've chilled free speech. That's right, and and we've created this climate where uh, you know people feel disconnected, isolated, cut off, and before you know it, that turns into anger. Then things are getting smashed in the street. I mean, it's 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 a progression that you can look at and just follow along with. It's not like, you know, we're not just pulling this out of thin air. That's right. Know? And the, the the interesting thing about this theory um, in particular, it, you know, when we're talking about that kind of subconscious ability to determine what public opinion is and act on that, mm-hmm. that's all assuming that we're gauging the actual climate of things, right? right. But I feel like in today's age we are not we're not receiving public opinion in in the age of algorithms determining what our news feeds present us mm-hmm. we are making those judgments about what public opinion is based on what the media is is feeding us right right and and all those media companies are now being owned by uh larger and larger corporations you know under the same umbrella so to me that gives them a lot of power to control narratives and shut down ideas by presenting an idea as as public popular opinion, mm-hmm. um, you can actually, based on human psychology, shut down dissenting ideas just by presenting them out there loudly enough and yeah. bigly enough. Yeah, you like that bigly. <laughs> and bigly, that was nice. I've been watching the Trump speeches, man. <laughs> no, I think. Uh, well, I think all our listeners. I, I think it's well documented that I will quibble with you over the scope and efficiency at which that happens. But I, I can't deny the power of narratives and memes. I mean, I'd be a fool to do so. I actually, it reminds me, uh, here recently, because of the show, I came into contact with somebody on Reddit that had some really interesting ideas 
for how we move forward. And in fact, we're, we're actually planning an upcoming episode on like, you know, what do we do? Do we form a centrist party? What do we, you know, how do we, how do we do something about <laughs> the this? common but, sense party for the common man <laughs> yeah, yeah. and, and we'll, woman? We'll get into that then. But what was interesting was his ideas to me were so, were so radical and um, uh, just completely, you know, out of left field that I, I, described it to him as I was talking to him. I said, man, it's like trying to talk about this is like trying to describe a color you've never seen before. <laughs> like it's, it's almost impossible. And it's because, uh, my understanding of what a political party is supposed to look like, what it's supposed to do, the functions that it, you know, uh, uh, goes through are so ingrained in me. So set by movies and, and things that I've seen over the years and discussions that we've all had that it's just hard for me to imagine anything that looks different. So here's this guy with, a, with a good idea and me and him are struggling. It's almost like kindergarten, like, like building blocks, <laughs> trying to find the right language to describe what we're talking about. Right. And, and I think, you know, the same thing happens when the large narrative, the large social narrative tells you that belief in, uh, you know, uh, abortion uh, means that uh, this person is evil or mm -hmm. belief in uh, feeding the homeless means that this person is a saint. And that's so ingrained in your head that when you hear uh, he, he helps feed the homeless, blah, you just, that's, that's who he is to you. He's right. the guy who feeds the homeless and that means he's a saint. So he's always going to get the benefit of the doubt. You're always going to give him a little bit more leeway than you are the guy who, you know, right. uh, supports abortions if that's your particular stance. So it's there's no question how much of a profound impact that can have on us, especially in our day to day life when we run on like autopilot. Right. And if if you're looking, if if you want to see that effect, like kind of in motion, then maybe sometimes the best place to look is somewhere where that that dominant narrative has recently been upended because you start to see all these cool little effects. So like you know, for years, uh, the narrative in this country was that, uh, you know, gay people were second-class citizens or they were outcasts. They, they you know, uh, weren't to be incorporated in polite society. Slowly, we've seen that change over time, and it kind of culminated in uh, recently uh, gay people getting the right to marry. Right. And that has had profound impacts, I think. That's right. I think um, that uh, in states where gay marriage has been legalized, you've seen a large uptick in people coming out. Um, so, so the narrative has kind of changed, right? And, and now that, now that we're talking about gay marriage and we're accepting it, you know, it seems kind of like kind of obvious that this would happen, but it's not that more people are getting married, more homosexual people are getting married. It's that more are coming out, right. you know, they're, they're more comfortable with it. So they're, they're gauging their, the, the climate, they're looking, uh, at cues in the environment around them and, and acknowledging those and deciding, well, you know, it's okay. Yeah. So, so. What this brings me to, you know, we often like to flip-flop things, and, and the flip-flop of this, I think we got to look at, at Trump and what happened with Trump. You had the media come out and start saying, well, Trump is, uh, Trump is elected, and he's a racist, and, you know, all these dog whistles, so we're going to start seeing people come out of the cracks. So it was almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Every news station in, in the United States ran this story over and over and over. So what do those people who hold those terrible opinions start doing? Yeah. Of course they come out of the cracks. You've just yeah. given them permission. Right. You know, the media ran this and ran this and ran this like it was the 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 truth, the word of God. Yeah. Of course people are going to start coming out of the woodworks. Now we get to see this minority opinion 
mm-hmm. get blown up as if it's a majority opinion. Yeah. And I, and I don't think, I think the numbers support me. It is not, racism yeah. is not a majority opinion. Well, I think, I think, I, I do like the fact that that kind of shows that in a sense, the, the spiral of silence can work for us, right? Like when we're talking about gay marriage and the way that it, uh, you know, it suppressed some of that anti-gay sentiment. And I would even say in the case of racism, it was working for us, right. um, you know, until it was blown up by the media. If, if, mm-hmm. if they had never talked about white supremacy dog whistles. Now, of course, you got to talk about it when it's when it's when well, it's there. But they're talking about it in the case of a Muslim ban. That's not a Muslim ban. You know, they're doing all these things to make it sound worse and worse and worse. Well, one of the things I obviously, you know, that I agree with you as far as uh, how things have been exaggerated, blown out of proportion. But I think we both admit that there are things that Trump has said. I mean, there are things that are there, racist things that he That's said. That's right. So, so it you start to wonder, like, how many people would have come out of the woodwork if we had a president who simply said those things in the media? Um, I'm not going to say give it a pass. There was no chance ever that they weren't going to talk about them, but they didn't go out of their way to also manufacture other instances every chance they got. And how much of that are they culpable in for doing that, for making it this fever blown, you know, pitch? Well, I think when we look at the spiral of silence and we look at the way people behave based on social cues, it's it's pretty obvious. Um, right. If they hadn't made it such a big deal, um, I don't think it would have given these people a pass to come out and be vocal. And I think that's a good thing. I, I think that uh, that dangerous ideas should mm-hmm. be suppressed. I think they should be suppressed naturally right. by, by the majority of people around them. You know, yeah. I don't, I've not been to a barbecue where any of my friends felt comfortable enough to like tell a racist joke unless a black guy was there too. You know, you <laughs> yeah, know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, right. I really don't. Um, not to say it doesn't exist, of course. Like right. I gotta, I gotta put that out there. No, I just, it's, it's, it's a struggle though. Cause I mean, when the president, says racist things or when somebody who's going to be president says racist things, I think it is important to, to go after them, to hold them to account. Sure. Now, now, you know, the question that gets really tricky, the gray area, the, the part that, you know, funnily enough, we're talking about not making things black and white in a sense, but the, the scary gray area here is, you know, at what point did the media jump the shark? I, I, for me personally, I think one of the places is with Charlottesville. I think that Charlottesville um, really, not to say that it doesn't matter, not to say that any of it, uh, it obviously was important. And then, you know, a young woman lost her life. But at the same time, the Tiki Torch guys, I mean, we're talking roughly about 200 people. 200 people. And if I looked at that reporting and and I stood back and I looked at the broad scope of it, I would have thought that it was a 10,000-man rally or a 50,000-man rally. They covered it like it was the Women's March. Yeah, absolutely. And when you're talking about minority versus majority, look at look at how, how many million people, 3 million people came out for the Women's March uh-huh. um, versus the 200, and they, they covered it about the same. Yeah, yeah. You know, so what does that do to, to the white supremacist? It makes the white supremacist feel like now his opinion is in the majority. Maybe that's a good thing. May, you know, you can't can't get the snakes till you cut the grass you know you can't see the snakes till you cut the grass so maybe you know maybe bringing these people into the light of day will allow us to defeat them i you know i don't know in a sense perhaps but i think no i think i think there is something to be said for the fact that making them think that there is a, a bigger community with open arms out there ready for them to fall into and i think you know actually it's echoed too uh when we talked about the incels 
You know, no saying that there are, you know, uh, possibly hundreds of thousands of these incels out there who who hold these violent misogynistic. Well, if you're one of those people who's like, you know, tooling around with that ideology. <laughs> and when we're talking about incels, especially because, you know, they're young kids, then that makes it sound like there's this big network. There's this big club that you can go join. Right. You know, again, to bring it back to a previous show, we've talked about people who see white supremacists everywhere. And when you keep repeating that, it's like, well, hell, if there's white supremacists everywhere, maybe I should get with it. Exactly. You know, so exactly. yeah, it, it really can. It creates a climate that that normalizes it in a sense through trying to do the opposite. Try, exactly. Trying you know? to do the opposite. Well, I would say, and and it's just, here's my conspiracy brain again. I think the people who are controlling these large media companies very well understand uh, human psychological behavior, mm-hmm. and I, I don't think it's an accident. Yeah. Um, I think that legislation is easier to be passed in chaos. Um, you know, when we're arguing with each other over uh, over white supremacy, it's it's a lot easier to get your your corporate legislation passed. Oh, people absolutely. aren't you know people aren't looking over here; they're looking over there now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I give them much more credit on that front for being, you know, Dr. Doom villains than maybe you do. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, oh, I, oops, it's all an accident. Eh, I don't no, know. I, I think some of that is true. I mean, I, I, I too still, uh, even though, you know, I've tried to approach uh, things like that with what I'm what I'm calling or, or saying to myself is a more rational approach. Stop thinking that everything's this grand conspiracy. But, you know, you do. You have these you have these crazy events or you have these these little cultural distractions. Well, media media is losing money, right? I mean, yeah. So, so why are billionaires buying up media companies? You know, it's it's not. (laughs) It's a dying asset. You know, that's because there's there's other power within it that that we haven't come to grips yet. Yeah, we we haven't understood um, what this power of communication really means. Mm -hmm. Um, And until we do, I think we're going to be at their mercy. Yeah. Um, But I also believe that. Uh, it's a double-edged sword, and and with that comes great power for us once we recognize the scope and extent of that power. I think very yeah. much we are stuck in a, in kind of a peon brain about this this communication and 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 the data that's involved and the data that's collected and and who it's passed to and how it's used. I think we very much go, oh, it's not value. You know, who cares who who sees what I do on on Facebook. Um, you know, who cares if, if Facebook's algorithm is, is controlling what news I see, you right. know, and so on and so forth. And, and I think it's just because we haven't recognized the scope and extent of yeah. how powerful it is. Once we're able to recognize that scope, we, we're in the position to wrestle it back from them. Yeah. And I, and I think when placed back in our hands, uh, we have potential to get better uh, and make society better and, and start using it to eliminate things like racism. Right. In a real way, yeah, you know, yeah. and eliminate uh, uh, gay bashing and eliminate bullying. Well, and- I think maybe maybe it's because of the way that, you know, I approach things and, and you know, I, I like to do it. So in a very ordered sense, step one, two, three. <laughs> you don't say. I think I want I want to bring it back to something that you mentioned just a moment ago. You said something about dog whistles. So I think that the way that we start to undo this this effect, the stranglehold that that the media and maybe possibly these evil moneyed interests <laughs> uh, you know have on us is to recognize their tactics, right? Well, dog whistles in particular are terrifying to me. And and they really upset me and and I think it's it's one of the gross things that's like gotten out of hand these days. Nowadays you will literally see everyone saying, oh well 
you know, Trump is dog whistling to racists or mm-hmm. this person is dog whistling to to even people on the left, uh, to, to communists or whatever. And the idea of a dog whistle is that you're using coded language to speak to a certain subset group while being able to maintain your innocence at large, right? right. Like you're using certain supercharged terms to to talk to the racists in the in the political rally while being able to be like, well, I never said anything racist, right. you know? Do I think they exist? I do. I think that every time uh, you know Rush Limbaugh or, or Sean Hannity went out of their way to say Barack Hussein Obama, <laughs> that's a dog whistle, yeah, you know. So yeah. I'm not denying that they exist, but we've reached the pitch where it's just being tossed around so freely, and now we've reached a paranoid state that it's almost like the Red Scare, like everything's a dog whistle, yeah. right? I saw an article recently um, that was like. Uh, uh, top five GOP dog whistles, right? And I'm reading through it, and they, yeah, actually, they had listed the Barack Hussein Obama. They listed a couple other things, but like number four was states' rights. And I was like, what? <laughs> oh, and so, break. and so, I read into it, right? And and they had uh, they had mentioned a speech as an example uh, that Reagan had been in Mississippi. Ronald Reagan was in Mississippi while he was campaigning to be president. And the quote that they used was, he said. I believe in states' rights. I believe we have distorted the balance of our government today by giving powers that were never intended to be given in the Constitution to that federal establishment. And of course, he's talking about slavery. And well, here's he's the coded so the language. He was in Mississippi. Yeah, states' rights were heavily tied to you know Jim Crow arguments and stuff. You know George sure. Wallace trying to break segregation. It, it absolutely exists. I'm not saying it doesn't. But what if Ronald Reagan? doesn't believe in segregation and believes in states' rights. There you go. Can he never give that speech in Mississippi? I mean, when when you take something that is a well-developed philosophy, states' rights, that man, that goes back to the beginning of the foundation of the country, and you just slap the term dog whistle on it, that chills free speech too. Because oh. now there's certain places I can't say certain things, so certain people can't hear them, and that is, it's crazy to me. It's man. ridiculous, and and and... To, to bring it full circle, the idea, I think, behind saying that's a dog whistle is is to other that person, you know? Right. Is to other that entire speech. Mm-hmm. So you so you blot out the message. Well, he's a racist, therefore I'm not gonna listen to the speech. You know? Yeah. Who cares what Reagan had to say? He's just a filthy racist. Yeah. And and you know, maybe that speech was something we needed to hear. Well, you know, a lot of people have strong opinions on states' rights. Right. So whenever I give you an example, I like to give you an example that you can drive along with. So maybe you're not, uh, you know, into into states rights the way I am. Let me give you another example. Uh, Another dog whistle that referred to was international bankers. Right. And the idea is that anytime a politician, uh, especially one on the right, says international bankers, what they really mean is Jews. Jews. Yeah. Yeah. So in other words, anytime that anybody wants to have a conversation about how the international banks are affecting our lives and our financial systems. If there's someone on the right, we got to worry about them being an anti-Semite. So that's very clearly chilling free speech. Um, you know, especially if you think that the international banking community needs uh, uh, more or less regulation. Yeah. Like yeah. Now, now your your opinion's off the table. Maybe you just change what you call them. I I don't know yeah. what. But what do you? They're banking internationally. They're international <laughs> yeah. bankers. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Oftentimes in in these cases, I mean, yeah. What else are you going to say? I mean, you have to change it to the point that just slays your message. But so so how does all of this 
fit together. How does like the dog whistling and the spiral of silence and, and flawed and the concept of a flawed messenger, how does it, how does it fit together? So the way I see it is this, um, the more that we judge the messenger for his or her messages, uh, the stronger the negative force of the spiral of silence. Um, I think we're creating a culture that says out of one side of its mouth that it values diversity, but in its actions, it's it's blotting out diversity of thought uh, by kind of self-enforcing a lockstep narrative. Um, the fear of of being put in an out group keeps people from engaging in and changing that narrative. Um, the effect is is even further multiplied when we interact on on the internet and on social media because we remove the face to face characteristics that might you know counterbalance a person's negative ideas. Um, furthermore. Since we all subconsciously determine what public opinion is by taking cues from the environment, we're very easily led by very powerful people with with grand agendas ranging from selling you snacks to selling us wars. Yeah, yeah. Old dude in his orange Tic Tacs winning over the popular opinion. <laughs> yeah. But uh well well let me let me let me try to uh put it more into focus, right? So so a couple of weeks ago we talked about uh some of the statements that Kanye West had made on Twitter. And what happened was we got caught in like that that age old problem for for podcasts, you know. We're a we, week behind. We talked about it on uh you know, we recorded the episode on Sunday and then our episode comes out on Thursday. Well, Tuesday he said some more things and we didn't really get a chance to address it. So having the conversation that we've just had, um, I would like to address his now infamous, uh, slavery was a choice. So, yeah. Quote. So he yeah, said, yeah. uh, you know, 400 years of slavery, that sounds like a choice to me. So my question is how does Kanye's statements fit into this flawed messenger concept that we've laid out? Well, I, I think it's pretty obvious. I mean, Kanye said slavery was a choice uh, in no uncertain terms. And a million people immediately drew a box around him. Uh, You had people uh, saying, you know, Kanye's an Uncle Tom. Kanye is a coon. Kanye is a race traitor. Um, At the end of the day, I, I don't think Kanye's any of those things. But what did they do? They attacked the messenger, not the message. So at that point, whatever he was trying to say is... Is lost, and now yeah. Kanye's just a coon, and he's just a race traitor. You don't have to pay attention to to, to Kanye's intent right. uh, or the message behind it. Well, I think I think you have a point that they they absolutely did attack the messenger, but in fairness, I think they they did also attack the message, right? Because I mean, I think uh, folks felt like by sla- by him saying slavery was a choice, um, he was actually actually interestingly, we just talked about the spiral of silence. He was assaulting the spiral of silence that we had put in place on, uh, you know, racist and white supremacy. Like he was chipping away at that because you, you got to clarify that. what, what do you mean? So, so he was saying slavery was a choice and, and that's like normalizing racism because obviously yes, you well, dumb slaves should have just got up and walked off the plantation. Like, no, well, well taken as a soundbite, right. Which Kanye has to know that if he, I mean, Christ, the interview was at TMZ. So Kanye has to know that anything he says can be chopped up and put into a soundbite. And if you take slavery was a choice just by itself, or uh, like you said, the exact quote was uh, 400 years of slavery. That sounds like a choice to me. 
that can be construed as you saying that either a, you know, uh, black people enjoyed slavery, which was an old, uh, you know, trope back in the thirties, you know, that, that kind of reared its head where they sure. said, Oh, black people had it better under slavery and or stuff. slavery was your fault. Maybe you're taking blame or that off. They share the blame for their own enslavement. So he knows, like I said, he knows that that, that can be pulled and then that can be repurposed by the people who are leading those, those, you know, racist organizations. So how much responsibility does the messenger bear for this message? Well, I think it's like, it's kind of like Schrodinger's messenger, right? Because on one hand, he bears all the responsibility for his message. He chose to say the words, right? On the other hand, he bears no responsibility for how others absorb, ingest, uh, and digest his message. So on, on one hand, you don't know how people are going to take your, your words. And, and language, by definition, is not very precise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> English is not the most precise uh, of languages. No, no language is capable of truly describing how you feel. Um, so, you know, when you, when you speak, you are going to be misunderstood. How much of that responsibility falls on you? For other people misunderstanding. It's like, you know, Jordan Peterson says, be precise in your speech. And I agree, but at some point you can never be precise enough. Well, but I mean, I don't, I don't think, I mean, are you saying we, we shouldn't hold people accountable for what they say? I mean, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think you're saying that. So, I mean, how do we hold people accountable with those terms? Well, it goes, goes right back to it. I think you, you attack the message. So mm-hmm. I don't think anyone in their, anyone in their right mind believes that slavery was a choice. I mean, black people were taken and put on slave ships in chains. That's not a choice. You know, that's yeah. someone doing that to you. They were captured and put in cages and sold and bought. None of that is a choice, right? And to think that that anyone in their right mind believes that is absurd to me. Mm-hmm. So so on the one hand, we can we can say, oh well obviously, you know, he thinks that black people chose to be a slave. No, that's ridiculous. So you attack the message and you, and you look at it and you say, well, well, what did he mean? Hang on, hang on. Before you, I mean, it's absurd to you, but I don't think it's absurd to the Tiki guys in Charlottesville. I think, I mean, I, I think that is something that you have to take into account is that to them, they'll be like, see, you know, even Kanye gets it now. You know, How many people can you take into account? So we got to take into account, uh, you know, Nazi assholes, we mm-hmm. got to take into account the racists. We got to take into account. Do you take into account the anti-abortion people when you're talking about uh, late-term abortions? Yeah. Um, you know how how far down that road do we go? Is yeah. the question, and that is the question, and that's and it's up to us. Right. Um, and I'm not saying you never go down that road because obviously you do. Um, it's just a matter of where you know it's that yeah. it's that ugly gray area that's hard to talk about. Well, do you? I mean, do you? You know, you said that Peterson often says that we should be precise in our speech. So do you feel like he was precise in his speech? Is, is what he, Absolutely what he ultimately said, does it construe what he, he meant? And, and watching Kanye um, in interviews and things, it's extraordinarily clear that he speaks far faster um, than, than he should. He's not, <laughs> he's not parsing things. Well, he was that day for sure. Yeah. <laughs> he's not parsing things through a filter. Most of the time, he's just total stream of consciousness thought. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so do I think Kanye paused for a second and thought about his words and said, how will these impact the situation around me? No, I don't think so. Right. Should everyone go through that process before they say anything? I, you know, I don't know. I'm not one of those people. I say, I say what I want without the filter nine right. times out of 10. And, and I don't think that that's a fault. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it is, it is liable to cause problems. I'm liable to offend people. But if we abide by the, the concept of the flawed messenger and people attack my message instead of attacking me, mm-hmm. I'm able to come around on that, right? So yeah. you, can, you can explain to me where I went wrong. If you call me an Uncle Tom Coon, you know, yada, yada, then, then we're done. It's, yeah. it's done at that point. There's no, there's no dialogue. There's no back and forth. Right. Um, so, so it's a matter of how we hold people accountable. Um, it's a matter of, of taking Kanye, uh, giving him the benefit of the doubt, right? right. So when you look at it and, and you try to justify that, I could say, look at, look at Haiti and yeah. the slave rebellion. It was a choice for those people to rise up and break their chains, mm-hmm. right? If they hadn't, that would have been a choice as well. Yeah. So, so maybe I'm just giving him the benefit of the doubt. I don't know if that's where well, his mind state was. But that makes sense to me. Well, I'll tell you there what. Were, there I, were I, successful slave rebellions in the United States. So well, do not, those... not ultimately successful, but well, in a very limited <laughs> sense. I mean, like... Successful yeah, enough, yeah. right? I mean, you weren't... No, no. You weren't, you weren't running the plantation anymore. You were on the run. Uh, no, no, no. They were often brutally murdered or put back into chains. Well, sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, sure. And yeah. they, were, they were being treated brutally anyway. Yeah. No, I... I do you not think that... A, that that a people subjugated should, should try to rise up. Is that not a positive thing? Well, no, here's the thing. I I do actually, the sentiment that Kanye clarified on, on Twitter in the next couple of days was that he was saying that, uh, a part of the enslavement of black people was mental enslavement. And, and as you just pointed at Haiti, you know, that's a good example in Haiti, they rose up and they were able to overthrow it. Does that mean that 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 black people were responsible for their own enslavement. No, absolutely no, not. Under under no stretch of the imagination, I, I think would a reasonable person think that. You know, now there are unreasonable per- people out there that might you know as we just referred to. So I've got to look. You know, then I got to look at Kanye. Right. Nothing in Kanye's history makes me think that that's what he believes. You know, even even the stuff that he was saying that we did talk about on the show a few days you know, before that makes me think that he thinks that black people were responsible for their own slavery because they, they didn't make the, the awful and terrible choice to, you know, risk their lives in a weakened condition to begin with that that somehow, you know, well, it's on them. them. I mean, you know, it's just, you know, the slavery was going to happen. You should have done something about it. Nobody, nobody's saying, pull yourselves up by the bootstraps. He was saying, in my opinion, um, that that's something that we have to watch out for. They, there were times where, you know, slaves vastly outnumbered, um, the white population in the area and that they did not rise up. And it was because they had accepted their slavery. To me, he's saying fight, you know, never give up. You know what I mean? And, and I don't think to look at it negative is to throw out everything that you've seen well, about Kanye so and, far. And, and when we're talking about, how much responsibility the messenger bears for his message or how other people take it. Look at our points of view on Kanye. You know, they're nuanced and different. Mm-hmm. Um, is he responsible for the way I take it and the way you take it and the way beans is bound to take it? Like, right. I don't think so. I think everyone is going to take sound bites differently. 
And, and ultimately, we hold very little responsibility for how people take that. And, and that's one of the reasons I'm a free speech believer, because I think if we go in the opposite direction, we're very soon in a place where, where there is not free speech and, and people are afraid to speak their minds. And then we don't get progress. Then we can't make things better because we're trapped in the, in the lockstep narrative. So instead of you know treating Kanye West like a coon or an Uncle Tom, I think people just need to at least try to put in the effort to to understand. Yeah, and and ultimately you can agree or disagree. Like uh, you might still feel like he's blaming black folks for their enslavement if his explanation doesn't pass your smell test, but at least get to the more nuanced version and engage it honestly. I, I, that's what we're not doing. I see, for me, I see a lot of parallels to what we're talking about today and what we said in the heroin episode. You know, back then we said you can't condone or enable someone who's shooting up, but you always leave the door open to them. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's the same here. There are things that folks say that are beyond the pale for me and I, and I won't abide them. And, and you know, it's, uh, that could be any number of things. It could be NAMBLA, you know, off the top of my head, <laughs> the people who advocate for NAMBLA, you know? But I owe it to a fellow human to be clear on what they mean. I need to make sure that I have it completely down before I even consider shutting that door. And to tell you the truth, most of the time that door never closes. Like you can always come back. Right. I mean, opinion. I think Daryl Davis is a, is a perfect example. That's the guy who, you know, has 200 Klan robes in his closet. Did, did Daryl Davis label those guys bigoted pieces of trash? No. Right. He went and, and talked to them face to face. And, and you know, it's a, it's a, it's a myth. It's a legend, but it's real. Yeah, no, it is real. And I, and I think the only people who are incapable of redemption and forgiveness are straight up cartoon villains. Yeah. And, and, and conversely, the only folks who are flawless are comic book heroes. Yeah. You know, I mean, people are much more nuanced and much more complicated. And this crazy hyper partisan landscape has made us lose sight of that. I've said before that we need to stop viewing politicians as heroes or villains. Well, that's true here, too. If we exalt people who say, you know, what we like to hear and demonize folks who say things that make us uncomfortable, we are going to chill free speech and we're going to train society to give us exactly what we ask for and nothing more. And nothing you're, more. You're going to get canned platitudes and you're going to get the absence of dissent and that's going to be it. And that doesn't push us forward. That doesn't help us grow and that doesn't make us that's, better as a people. It's status quo, man. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's status quo. And, and for me to... I just want to really underscore why we brought this back to Kanye, um, because a lot of people wrote him off. You know, they didn't yeah. they didn't watch the follow up interview. Um, you know, they haven't listened to anything he said since. And and I happen to think he said some pretty powerful shit as a result of this. You know, whatever you call this snafu, mm -hmm. um, he says, if you start thinking about love, feeling love, thinking about forgiveness. You can overcome things. I think love conquers all. I know, not think, I know from the bottom of my soul, gut, spirit, and subconscious that love is the strongest force in the universe. And right now, we need love. We need the moment when South Korea and North Korea reconnect. We need the moment when we go down to Charlottesville and go to those houses. We need to break down race. Mm -hmm. And do you think a guy like that thinks... That, that says something like that honestly thinks slavery was just a choice. Yeah, yeah. You know, like it's it's ludicrous in in hindsight. And and I think if you wrote Kanye off, you you missed that incredibly powerful message. And for what? Right. And for what? 
No, I think I think that's a total a total shame, and it's something that we should all think about. We should all in all our interactions every day keep that in mind. Um, while we do think about it, uh, it is unfortunately time for Beanzo to come through and do what he does oh so well. Uh, he will find every factual inaccuracy, every error in logic, uh, even even some of the broader meta criticisms of the show as he has in recent weeks those are my favorite yeah, and just tear us down beanzo what do you got well fellas you delved into a very difficult and thought-provoking topic today i'm surprised that you tackled something like this given the track record you've shown so far what would motivate you two to build an episode around the idea that we should still listen to folks despite their flaws and not judge them too harshly for the content of their message Hmm. I guess the world will never know. As risky a choice as it may be, buddies, you should be fine if you treated the episode with the importance it deserved and made sure you were solid on the details. Let's see, uh, since said there were, ooh, three million people at the Women's March, even despite the fact that you both mentioned in various episodes that there were about 500,000 to a million attendees. Okay, so your stats are a little loose. After all, nobody thought you two would figure out what you were doing overnight, or 27 episodes, I guess. As long as you were able to navigate this tricky topic without saying anything incredibly stupid, we'll call it a win. Let me check my notes. Uh, well, I'll be damned. There you said that people kicking dogs are worse than Nazis. I mean, I'm not pro-dog kicking or anything, but I think that's a hell of a stretch, buddy. I also want to point out what is perhaps the most egregious offense in today's episode. There, you said the only people who are flawless are comic book heroes. Yet neither DC or Marvel has shipped an uncanny Beanzo number one or Beans Lantern annual as far as I know. Fellas, back to you. Man, I, I, I've been taken out of context. I've been kanye here, man. No, I, I did not mean to say that dog kicking was worse than the Nazi. I was trying to say that I found something that's really evil and I didn't say Nazis. I was like super excited about being you're just gonna Yo Fury, I feel badly for you and I'm gonna let you finish, but redheaded Taylor just dropped one of the best videos of all time. How how am I gonna finish? Of all time Hey folks, I'm Sense, one half of the Sense of Theory podcast. I'd like to take a second to thank you for listening. Uh, It's your time and attention that makes this show worthwhile. Uh, We do the show for you and our listeners. Um, I'd ask you to leave a review, good or bad, on iTunes. Uh, Come check us out on the various social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can find the links uh, in the description to the show. And uh, if you want to reach out with a comment, uh, joke, uh, funny anecdote, uh, you want to call me an idiot, uh, sensetheorypodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Thanks again, folks, and we'll see you next week.